In Christ Jesus, dear fellow redeemed, grace and peace and encouragement are ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to start with a bold statement this morning. This is, this is the statement. You were born not trusting God. You had to learn to trust and God had to teach it to you. In fact, faith is a gift from the Holy Spirit. God taught you his word. First of all, he put words in your heart with the natural knowledge that there is a God and that you're accountable to him. But then somewhere along the way in your life, he taught you the word about him being the creator that you're accountable to. That he's the one that had the idea to make the universe, that you were in his mind before creation, and that in a certain place in time, he made you. He taught you that truth. He taught you that you ha have sinned every day of your life. And so you've brought death into your own life like everyone else has, and that you're accountable to him. He taught you that instead of pushing you aside and starting over with a whole new human race, he put all your sins on his son. He decided to save you, to restore you. And in your lifetime, he taught you that he drug you to this message about his son, Jesus Christ, and how he took your sins away. And how Jesus conquered death for you so that you have hope in your heart and the knowledge in your head that you are going to live forever. He taught, and the Bible says in Romans 10, that faith comes from hearing that message I just shared with you. So God put faith in your heart. He put faith that you have him with you wherever you go, and that he's waiting at the finish line for you, and he's preparing a place for you in heaven. So you live your life trusting him and his word, trusting that he's already settled all the guilt that you have when you think about being accountable to him, trusting that he's with you wherever you go, loving people because you're filled with God's love for you that you share with others, and having hope in all circumstances, even in the hardest time you have, you can go back to that room where you have hope in God's promises and eternal life. He put all of that in your heart. But it's really easy to lose it. And so in your lifetime, in my lifetime, God works tirelessly by the Holy Spirit, working in the life of his people to preserve you in your Christian faith. In fact, the preservation of the believer is, all, is, is, is talked about all over the Bible, especially in the New Testament, where, where uh, think of the letter of 1 Peter, where Peter talks the, he wrote the whole letter to suffering Christians who were in danger of losing their faith. He talks about hanging on and clinging and casting all your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. Think about the last chapter of James where James says uh, that we want to be like Job who trusts in the most difficult circumstances because we have the promises of God. Think about what Paul is saying here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when he talks about encouraging one another. Let me give you the background. The Apostle Paul, in his second missionary journey, along with Silas and Timothy, they spread the gospel up through Asia Minor, Macedonia, and down into Greece. Up in Macedonia, they came to a town called Thessalonica. And there, Paul went into the Jewish synagogue to tell the Jews that their long-promised Messiah 
had come and that it was Jesus who had died and risen again in Jerusalem and ascended into heaven and left the promise of eternal life for all people. He's, he got to, to come forward in front of the church or the synagogue every Saturday for three Saturdays. And some of the people in the synagogue that were Jewish people came to faith in Jesus. Some that had to stand in the back that were God-fearing Gentiles, they came to faith in Jesus. And it says even a few prominent women in the synagogue became believers. The Jews that didn't believe Paul and his message about Jesus got very jealous that he was sweeping people out of their congregation. So they went into the marketplace and they got some uh, people that loved to riot. And they told him that this man was causing riots and that he was a menace to society and they needed to get rid of him. So they created a mob and they surrounded Paul and Silas and they arrested them. Actually, they surrounded Jason's house and they tried to arrest him, but somehow Paul and Silas got away. They arrested Jason and took him into court and Paul and Silas were ushered out and they went on to the, about 45 miles away to the next town, Berea. Paul pushed on after he'd been with Berea for some time because the Thessalonican Jews came down to Berea and ran him out of Berea and he went down to Athens and then finally to Corinth where he stayed for 18 months. The amount of time he was in Thessalonica, though, was just a few weeks. Three Sabbaths that he got to be in the synagogue, maybe a few days more, but that was all it was. And he was amazed. You can tell by the letter he wrote them, 1 Thessalonians, he was amazed that they came to faith, that they had a sincere trust in God, in Christ, as their Savior, from the brief time that he had preached the word to them. He says, you received the words from me when he wrote them. You received the words from me, not as the words of men, but the words of God. And he knew their faith was, their love was real because they were using the love of God that they had to let bygones be bygones, to love their neighbor as themselves, to love their enemies, and to love each other and take care of one another. He heard all of these things from Timothy when he came to tell Paul how they were doing. So Paul wrote them this letter. And he was concerned, though, because he knew the, the great enemy that they had. And here's another bold statement. The devil is a fierce, ferocious beast who devours people. He does. Now, I'm just going to give you a few examples. The very first two people, Adam and Eve, there they are in perfection. And he brings them down into sin in the, in the opening chapters of the Bible. You see him in the book of Job where God boasts about Job in the heavenlies. He says to the devil who passes before him in the spiritual realm, he says, have you noticed my servant Job? And then the devil says, let me at him. And he actually brings death into Job's family. He, he takes away all Job's property. He takes away Job's health. And he tries to steal Job's faith. And the whole book is about how Job is in a battle with the devil, the ferocious lion, and he doesn't even know it. In the book of Zechariah, there's the high priest, Joshua, who's having trouble getting the, the gumption to get God's people to build the temple. And the devil's accusing him before God and pointing out sins. He's a ferocious lion. He tempts you into sin and then he condemns you. And he makes you condemn yourself. Remember Peter? Jesus said to Peter on the night before he died, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But when you have come back to me, strengthen your brothers. Remember 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter wrote this at the end of his life. 
He said, the devil is a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Paul knew that the devil was a ferocious beast and that he was behind all of those persecutors of his dear little church in Thessalonica. And so when he wrote them this letter, he tells them to use the weapon that God had given them to stay in the faith, to protect themselves. He says, put on the breastplate of faith and love, put on the helmet of hope. And then he says, encourage one another. Listen to the reading of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where Paul says that encouraging one another is a huge weapon against the ferocious lion. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Notice that last verse. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. He had just said in the letter that the world around the Thessalonians were filled with people who tried to salve their guilt and their bu- with their busy life of entertainment and pleasures, and he called it drunkenness. You could add in there that they had drinking problems. You could add in there today that Paul would say that people try to escape the guilt or the shame or the problems that they can't resolve in their life by drugs or alcohol or pleasure or unbroken success or hard work. They try to, we try, we're tempted to push off a deep spiritual dive into our heart to understand what's really going on and what the real big solution is. And he knew the Thessalonians would be drugged back into that worldly way of thinking because of the ferocious lion, the devil, using the world, the people who are not enlightened by the gospel. He knew that. He said, encourage one another. We are people of the day, not of the night. We are sober-minded. We have been enlightened by the gospel. We live by faith, knowing God's with us and that our life has purpose and meaning and, and that it's going in a direction. And no matter what's going on, God is with us and he has heaven as our home. So live with the purposeful, love-filled life of faith and encourage each other that way. I want to break down that word encourage for us because it's, it's very helpful. The Apostle Paul, said, when he says encourage one another, it's, uh, the original word is to call yourself alongside of someone and talk to them. It's to actually draw near to someone like you're walking along a path and you put your arm around them and you say softly into their ear what they need to hear. The picture of Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus is really the picture of encourage. He walked alongside of them. They didn't know he was the risen Savior. And he said what needed to be said. In that conversation, there was some reproof. He said, how slow you are to believe all the promises that God gave us. And then there was instruction. He gave them words from God that had promises and showed how the Old Testament revealed that the Christ had to suffer and then enter into his glory. He, they said their hearts burned within them as they walked along and, and talked with him. That's a great picture of encouragement. The parakaleo is the word to call yourself alongside and say what needs to be said. Sometimes it actually saying comforting words to a person. Comforting them with 
forgiveness and grace and the promise of God's presence. Sometimes it's praise. You've done a good job and God's pleased with you and you're going to have a great impact with what you've done. It's going to be left behind you and it's affected so many people positively. That's an encouraging word. And sometimes it's correction, but it's still encouragement. But it's not criticism. It's actually correction out of a loving heart to a person that knows they're being loved to get them back on the path. It's, it's like the, the words between a really good coach. Let's think of a volleyball court. And there's a, a really good coach. And she's got all these girls that are great at volleyball. But she, she needs to talk to the, a player during a break to get her to make an adjustment. She speaks correction into her heart. We speak correction into one another. This is the weapon that, that Paul says to use to keep the faith. He says, you're already doing it, but do it more. And he says, build each other up. The idea is, is that after you've been together, you feel stronger, more well-built, repaired, restored by one another. And Christians are supposed to be doing that for each other. Paul wanted to do that. He's done it throughout the letter when he wrote the Thessalonians, but he couldn't be there. But they had each other. Think of when a, the lion has seen these videos where they, they go out in Africa and they chase after their game for their meal. Think of how the herd will, will you can watch it like wildebeest, will all back in, put the, the calves in the middle, and they'll back all their rear ends together and they're facing out and they all are there together and there's safety in their numbers. Paul says, encourage and build each other up. That's how you protect and help each other persevere. Like a, a, a herd encouraging one another. It's a weapon. Um, there's people in the church, according to Romans chapter 12, there's people in the church that have a special spiritual gift of encouragement. They just, they zero in on people they make them feel loved, they do love them, and they give them the right words that they need. They are good at it. And we watch them and we marvel at it because they seem to be just constantly encouraging. And after we've been with them, we always feel so much better. We need to learn from them. We don't all have that spiritual gift, but we have the gift of God's word and grace among us. And we have them as an example. So I want to help you just a little bit to talk to you about what encouragement looks like. I want to use the, the, the word lead, and hopefully this will help in your memory. Think of the word lead with its, its four letters, L-E-A-D. And you think of encouraging someone that you know that needs, needs it. First of all, listen. That's what the L stands for. That means you take time to find out how they're really doing. It has happened so often. I've done it, and it's always failed when I've done it. But it's happened so often that people that want to encourage another person, they jump right in and they start telling them what they is gushing out of their heart is their word that they want to share with them. And it's irrespective of where that person is at a certain place in their life because the one speaking didn't take the time to find out what's really going on in the life of the other person. It takes time to encourage people. It takes listening. We have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And it means that you have to ask a lot of questions. And I say, don't start encouraging too much until you feel like you've gotten as deep as far as as deep as you possibly can in understanding 
where that person is at this particular time. Because otherwise, you may be putting the wrong, the wrong spin on your encouragement for them. So you got to listen. You got to ask questions like, how have you been doing? And how is your, your feelings regarding this situation that you know about? Or anything that's been a particular burden that you're carrying lately? Or uh, I, I have noticed that you're not quite yourself, but I don't understand it. So help me understand. Um, how do you feel about what he said when they're telling you the story about something someone said? Find out what's really going on while you're praying. Holy Spirit, I want to be an encouragement to my friend. So help me know what to say. You know, they say Job's four, four friends, they were the best encouragement when they didn't say anything at all. And sometimes it's better just to be silent and say, I love you and I'm praying for you. I'm not even sure what to say, but I'll, I'll pray with you. I'll pray for you. But listen, and it takes time and it takes an, a, a willingness to, to try to grasp what's really going on in their life. After you listen, before you jump to giving your, you, what you think that they need to hear, Show them that you're empathetic. That's what the E is for, to empathize. It, it is, you're already showing empathy by listening. You're already showing empathy by spending time with them. So you're already on the right track. Like Paul said, you're already doing these things. But it's, it's always great to hear from somebody that you can empathize with them. You understand at least a little bit. You don't know everything about how they feel even after they've described it. So you don't want to say, I know exactly how you feel. But you can say, there are times where I felt similarly and, and empathize with where they are. Can, I, I can feel what you're saying. My heart aches for you. Uh, that really must be difficult. Those are, those are feelings that we all want to hear from people that are going to be an encouragement to us. Um, then, after you've empathized, then you affirm. And it, you can affirm anyone in any conversation just for them hanging in there in the conversation. So this is an affirmation statement, and we all crave affirmation. I think it took a lot of courage for you to share those things with me, and I appreciate you trusting me enough to share them with me. And it means a lot. And, and I, I, I think you've got more courage than you think you have. And I also think that even though you feel really weak in your faith, you have more faith than you realize because it takes faith to be worried about not having faith. Those are affirmation statements. God will show you what you can affirm. But there's always something to affirm in a human being and a Christian that's struggling because they are still getting so much right. And you can help affirm that. And then, finally, the thing you wanted to start with, now you have listened, you've empathized, you've affirmed. They know how much you love them. You know how much you love them. You've got a word from God. You've got a thought you want to share. You've checked it in your heart and in your mind. You're not just going to blab something that you feel and what is, uh, whatever is your opinion. But you want to encourage God's truth or something based on His truth. So then you share what you wanted to share. You don't have to know chapter and verse. But if you do, you can share it. Maybe it's a person you've figured out doesn't want to hear where it is in the Bible. Then don't share that. Just share the insight. Share what you know up to the point, this point in your life. Even if it is, I just know God loves you. I know he works everything for our good, and I know heaven is our home. And I think that's some, those are some things worth listening to, even in a hard time like this. That is an encouraging word. And you, you're not alone. The beast is out there nagging at their head, making them feel like they're a total washout, and he's blaming them for all their sins. And there you are with a forgiving heart, giving them the word of God. That's lead.
if you in your life of encouragement, when you get down to the direct, that's what the D stands for, for in, in, and you want to give an insight to your friend, and you really don't know what to say, that's when you refer it. You refer it to others. You, you get help. You help them connect with other people. That would be your direction. I want to be an encouragement. I want to help you find. I know this person, maybe it's my pastor, maybe their staff minister, but someone that can help you. I know this friend that went through it like you did, and they've come out and rebounded. Maybe you'd want to talk with them. That's, that's a way that you would, give, you would give direction to refer it to somebody else or en- enlist the help of somebody. No matter what, it's important that we do not live like we're this solitary island out there and we, we don't need anyone. And that what our job in life is just to vote everybody off our island and, and make it on our own. The devil's a beast and you're so small and insignificant in your ability to fight the devil. You need more than one mind filled with the Holy Spirit and the word of God to help you. And so do the people around you. And whatever the case, as a Christian, encouraging a Christian to help them retain their faith, I'm just going to tell you, whatever you say, it's got to always end up with Jesus. Jesus is the solution. Whatever advice we give that drives a person back into themselves to pull up themselves up by the bootstraps and get it done, if Jesus isn't in the room or in the picture, then they're void of the power to do that, especially in matters of faith. And so you want to be thinking all along, how can I be Jesus for them? Give, give them the thoughts about Christ that apply to the, their situation. The church encourages one another in Christ to grow in him. In fact, you saw in the verses that I read from the Apostle Paul that he said, you, you, Jesus died and rose again so that we would, whether or sleep, would live with him. And what it means is that he, he did all this so that in our life, when we come to faith, trust in him, we would be walking with Christ everywhere we go all the time. So if you're an encourager, and you are, you want to lead people back to Christ. And then that's when you pray with them. See? The Apostle James, who was actually a brother of Jesus, he he wrote a passage. It's the last verses of the book of James. And I want to leave it with you as an encouragement in a moment. I'm going to read it to you. Okay. But I want you to listen to me real quickly. Um, I, I wouldn't be standing here today as a pastor in the Lord's church after all these years, if it were not for many people that encouraged me the entire years of my life. It's true of all of us. I can think of a, a teacher who took me out in the mechanic shop and dressed me down, we'd say in Texas, for an attitude problem that I had developed as a junior in high school. And I, I, I see him periodically here and there. He's still with us on this side of the Jordan and uh, thank him all the time. I can remember a coach in seventh grade pulling me aside as a bossy quarterback yelling at the linemen all the time because they wouldn't block and I was getting sacked. And, and stopping me from course to be humble and be a servant leader. I can think of friends who saw me going far off the path, who had the nerve to, to sit me down and say, because I care about you, I want to tell you about what's going wrong. 
I, I, I have a wife that's willing to tell me exactly what I need to hear, but in a way that she's not ever going to leave my side, even if it has to be a hard word. She gives me encouraging words as well and builds me up. I have children who've called me out and built me up. I have friends who've pointed out the effect that I was having when I thought I was having no positive effect at all. Uh, I know encouragement, and I wouldn't be here today in my own faith if I didn't have people holding me up to encourage me. And I believe it's the same for you as well. There are people that need you also to encourage them to save their soul from death and hell and also to salvage what's left of their earthly life so that it would, it would be a blessing and a benefit to all who know them. The devil catch, get, likes to lead us into living a life of sin against God's will and to harden our heart against his words and faith. And you know some people who in one way or another, whether it's encouraged in their encouraged in their faith, they need you to encourage them. You're thinking about someone that you want to encourage. Well, listen to James and what he says, okay? This is in James chapter 5. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whenever you turn a sinner from the error of their ways, you will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. The value of a human soul and all of the souls that that person touches for the remainder of their life is so great that God wants us to prioritize getting involved and being an encourager to come and put our arm around them and say what needs to be said. Who is that person that you're thinking about? God's bride, the church, is, the wep is one of the weapons equipped with the word of God that we fight the fierce enemy with. Be his weapon. Be his strength for that person. Step out in faith. I'm encouraging you. They need you. So go and build them up and encourage them and bring them back if that's what needs to be done. Do everything you can to save and cover over a multitude of sins because God's church encourages one another. Amen.